welcome adventurer to the Level Up Board Game Podcast, a show that uses your experiences and opinions to discuss board games and the gaming community. Join the heroes as they conquer perils such as meeples, cards, and miniatures, all in an effort to level up. You're listening to the Level Up Board Game Podcast. Hey, welcome, adventurers, to episode 101 of the Level Up Board Game Podcast. This is just Patrick. Hey, King Scott here. Hello, love. It's your dong merchant. Oh, God, he's back. Yes. Uh, first of all, before we get this episode started, adventurers, we apologize. <laughs> Will's back. This is going to be chock full of shenanigans. Brown, how you been, buddy? I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. It's been a... Uh... I'm teaching summer school, so I thought teachers didn't do anything over summer. Oh no, that <laughs> is a huge myth. But I'm doing extra because we got solar at our house, so I need the extra the extra money. So I am teaching students who failed freshman English. Oh no, and they have <laughs> two two weeks to make up an entire semester's worth of work. It's a thing that I'm doing. <laughs> oh. You got to love people who do words good. <laughs> well, I'm glad you're talking about the English class. I actually have a couple of recent plays today. They're going to tie right into that. We've got a ton of recent plays. This is a uh, this is a recent play heavy episode, and we're going to be doing a review of Rauha, which I looked it up. Go ahead. Get it out of your system. R a u h a. It's pronounced Rauha, and it's apparently a Finnish word. Do this episode. Look back to two of them because last week we didn't do a look back. It's going to be Veiled Fate and The Hunger. And then we're going to wrap it all up with a little game that I want to play with you guys. So let's start off a little bit of banter. Spiel results are in. Do you guys see the uh, the big Spiel de Chiaris winner this year? Yeah, right. a game I haven't Romantic. played. Yeah, you know what? I haven't <laughs> played it either. I've been talking about playing. I do a whole lot of talking about playing games and not actually playing them. I uh, haven't played this one either. Dwarf Romantic. That, Scott, you never, you haven't done this one yet either, have you? No, I have not. Uh, well, I know you're you're busy on BGA all the time trying to get number one. So that's why you're not <laughs> playing games. And, you know, I, I, when it's, when you talk about Dwarf Romantic, I thought we were talking about Scott. Oh, he just said you're a pot belly short guy that's romantic. I mean, I two out of three ain't bad. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. So hey, my, 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 the only thing I really love about this winning is just how mad Ryan must be about it. About this one, what? Dorf about Romantic? Dorf Romantic? Yeah. Wasn't he crapping all over it? Not crapping on it so much. Uh, you know, honestly, I, I don't think that he had played it at that point. Oh, I have a, he must have been angry about a different one. I had a memory of him being very angry about it. It was very satisfying. Well, on the other hand, the Kenner Spiel to share us, the, the one that's supposed to be like the hobby board gamer game of the year, it was up between Challengers, Icky, and Planet Unknown. The winner there was Challengers, which, Scott, you'd mentioned I'm too busy trying to get number one. Uh, Will, you may or may not know, uh, there was there was a while there where I had number one on BGA and Obsession. I now have the number one ELO on Challengers. There was like a, well. it, oh, well, Challengers too. Wow, I haven't played that. I was angry about that, not because I'd played an Icky or Challengers, but because I think Planet Unknown is a really good game. That was, yeah. I think it was my number four, four game of the year last year. And it's not really my my jam. And so a game that's not my jam to get that high is something. Yeah, I, I got to decide if I want to back the Supermoon expansion or not. I have major problems with Challengers winning this because. Shame on you. Their line is I had challenges <laughs> with Challengers. There is nothing in this game that is a challenge to anybody. It's okay. This card looks good. I think I'll be able to make that work. Flip a card. Okay. It didn't match it. I'll flip another card. 
You have no agency to pick what cards you want to pick. It just randomly comes out whenever it does. That's it. I mean, it's God, like Scott's Henry Jar goes to war. <laughs> 52 card deck. Here you go. Play it at home. Scott, you mentioned that Challengers, it, it, it's an extremely luck heavy game. And I will give you that. But you know what? I, having at this point claimed the claim to the number one spot on BGG. Okay. So how many games is that? What? Uh, how many games did I have to play in order to hit the number one spot? Yeah. Uh, about 300. It oh plays really gosh. quickly. A game plays in about five to 10 minutes, depending on if you go seven rounds. So uh, Scott, you're right. It, it's extremely random in that, like take your starting deck. You have a four, a three, a two and three ones and you add two cards to it. So if mm-hmm. I add a couple of threes and you add a couple of threes, well, then there's some luck in who goes first. Plus if I flip a, a three and then you flip a one, a one and a one, and then I flip my four, then you flip it. Like there is some, if I flip my four and you flip a two and a three, well, you spent one more power to remove my four than I needed. If you then flip, uh, if I if I then, in order to remove your three, I flip my three, and you remove it by flipping a a. Never mind all that. It's it, it's difficult to explain, but there is there's a lot of flipping and numbers being named there. Right. And, um, every me, every oh, dear listeners, dear adventure. No, we're going to wreck on all that. Here's what I'm going to say. It is a luck based game. However, uh, it's a skill game. Uh, and call it 60-40. If we take something like Obsession and I say it's 90-10 skill versus luck, this is probably like a 60-40. And the skill, honestly, a lot of the skill just has to do with experience. Knowing what's in the B deck, knowing what's in the C deck. Uh, it's a game of synergies. This card is really good with that card. But this card has about six different things that it works well with. You don't know that in your first play. Oh, I'm going to take this one because whenever we hit the B deck, I know that I can find that card or I get to the C deck and I get the sci-fi geek. Is that skill or is that just I've played this game a crap load? Yeah, probably more the latter. But uh, you know what? I could see challengers getting this win because it's so unique. Name another, like Planet Unknown, I can name games that feel like that. There's tracks and polyominoes, right? Icky, I haven't played, but I guarantee And the Lazy Susan. Okay, okay, I'll give you that. It's got the Lazy Susan. That That's its thing. That's the one, wow, this is a standout. There's nothing that feels like Challengers. Um, War? No, 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 no. War has a static deck. You're not, you're not changing. Oh, you're actually, you know what it sounds like a lot to me, actually? What's that? I hadn't thought about this, but as you described it earlier in the bit that got cut, it sounds a lot like Twilight Imperium. Oh, funny, funny. (laughs) (laughs) No, I think this is one here. Definitely, we will agree to disagree because I think there is nothing in this game that is even remotely challenging or gives you anything to like flex your strategic muscles whatsoever. Nothing. My first take on it a few episodes back was, you know, once you start flipping cards in the deck, you have no control. And I'm I'm slightly wrong there. There's there are cards that say look at the top three and rearrange them. There's a card that'll say look through your deck, put any card on top. Uh, or when you lose possession of the flag, look through your deck, put any card on the bottom. So there's ways to manipulate oh so slightly, oh, manipulate yeah. the order. But is it enough? Generally, no. I think most folks are going to lean towards where you are, Scott, in that it's like okay, the entire game is build the deck. And then the actual like flipping of the cards, uh, look at it this way. That's not the game. That's just the execution of the game that you've already played of building the deck. Uh, But I can see where it's going to be a miss for a lot of people. You know, I have to say, after listening to the description and all of this, I have zero desire to play. And I won't admit, there's a big chunk of that's because I'm butthurt. 
that it wasn't Planet Unknown, mm-hmm. which one I like the game and the publisher from Adam's Apple Games, Adam, is like super nice. And like, I really, I really wanted, you know, him to have this thing. Yeah. But yeah. I'll play Icky though, because it also got wronged. Yeah. I think so. It seems. I think the Challengers, it's a, a fun game. Does it deserve this award? No, I don't think it does. I'm not saying that my opinion's right or wrong or anything like that at all. But yeah, I just, I think that it could have been given to someone so much better than than this game. So, but that's just me. Scott, let me ask your opinion on this one. You're a big fan of Monty Python. Monty Python or Monty Python? I've heard people say both. Yes. They got a zombicide flying. It's Monty Python's Flying Circus. It's a zombicide like expansion or game or an add-on this, pack where you're incorporating <laughs> Monty Python into the game. What, what are your thoughts here? The start of the new century of uh, of games here of the Level Up Our Game podcast is now being turned into. Let's see how angry we can make Scott. <laughs> Not I, angry. I am on like the this. show. Zombicide I is great. Monty Python is your thing. This sucks so bad why uh, whenever they came out with you have the figures for the ministry of silly walks being part of, of zombie side that is absolutely ridiculous i could understand having the characters from uh the holy grail in black plague all right totally fine that works in there this is trying to fit something into a game with the jaws of life <laughs> like all right square peg into a round hole it's, yeah 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 yeah. but by god we're gonna fit that round peg in that square hole and it's it, no uh, that to be fair side, you usually a round peg will fit in the square hole it's the i've seen that video yeah. yes yeah whoa <laughs> good night everybody I, i'm gonna come in on the on the opposite so i don't i don't care about zombicide really at all it's not my jam i don't mm-hmm. back any of it however I'm going to come on the other side and say, you know what? I would rather have the Ministry of Silly Walks in my Zombicide than all the other random crap stuff, add-on expansions that they put into Zombicide. I would much rather play a young, rail-thin John Cleese in a Silly Walk than whatever nonsense they're putting in Zombicide. Do you guys like Zombicide? It's fine. Yeah. I lo- I really like Zombicide. I Scott, when we were making our list for top ten, I wrote down like twenty five games. I was like, yeah, this is somewhere in the running, and I just put Zombicide, like whatever iteration. I love mm-hmm. it. I think it's I think it's a blast. There's a dungeon crawler that I love called the Cult of Barnacle Bay, which is very similar in many ways to Zombicide. And just we played that some- one uh, last summer, Scott. You and yeah. I both. Yeah, it just said the differences that it has it makes it more interesting to me. But I mean, I, what's fun about Zombicide? Getting loot and exploding dice. Like, that's what's fun about it. And I can find that in other games and that aren't zombies. I hate zombies. Gosh, I hate zombies so much. Yeah, they were a little overdone there for a while. Now, the thing I do get behind here, and I'm waiting for my Kickstarter to come in for this one, is the Monty Python's co curricular medieval reenactment program. <laughs> so that is a Monty Python <laughs> role-playing game that I'm waiting for. Scott, I'll play that with you when that comes in. I've never done role-play. If you figure out the system or give it to uh, like Tom or one of the guys that that does the, the role-playing, have them figure it out so we can just sit down and have an afternoon with it. I'm in. I don't even know Jack about Monty Python, but I'll try it. Yeah, yeah, I don't know a ton about it, but yeah, that that you know, I would I would get get online and play play a session with you guys. That'd be ridiculous. I'm not a huge Monty Python. There, there's there's some stuff that I 
that I like a lot, but I, I'm not huge into it. Now, before we go into other real stuff, I have a story that I've been wanting to share with you guys more, Scott, because Scott, as the performer, you the just want to be in, you just want to be in front of the camera, I think is going to appreciate this a lot. Because now my wife, when I told her this story, she was like, that's so sad. Every actor I've told this story to has found it hilarious. <laughs> okay. so, so I was at RageCon a couple of weeks ago, weekend after Origins, which is the Reno Area Gaming Expo. And I was a special guest. I was like the bottom of the special guest list. Now, the top of the special <laughs> guest list was a, a guy named Ben Maddox. He does uh, uh, four games for Doomsday. He lives. He's a British guy who lives in Berlin. They flew him out. He was the guest of honor. Ooh. And his first time in America. So he goes to Reno. That's his first time in America. <laughs> but, you know, whatever. So he were in Reno, and they're like, Ben, would you like to be on the Channel 2 News? And he's like, do I? Because apparently there is an obsession in Germany with the American West. And there's some Johnny Cash song that talks about Reno. So every Berliner knows Reno. And he's yeah. like, I'm going to go back and just be like walking. Into, I was on the news in Reno and he's going to be the coolest guy. So whatever. It, it was so important to him. So he's getting interviewed. I did not even walk behind him back and forth doing weird stuff. Cause like, it was really important to him. <laughs> so whatever I did. And then I was, we chatting later. It's like, Ben, would you like to be on the channel eight news too? Do, do I? So he's going to be on the channel eight news, right? <laughs> so late that night, late that night, I'm playing in a game of Marrakesh, like Corey Thompson from Dice Towers teaching his event. I'm playing. It was a pretty fun game. I'm just getting late. And then Ben sits down next to Henry Audubon, designer of parks and all that. He was another special guest. And he's like, so Henry, I was on the news. Would you like to see? And he pulls up his phone and they're watching the YouTube video or whatever the link. And you know, four minutes goes by and he looks up at us and he says, I wasn't on the news. Oh, no. He'd been cut. He'd been cut. And, and everybody, I want you to see Scott is rolling back laughing. As I said, the best part is the other news wound up being just an article. Oh, he was no. cut from the article. Oh, poor guy. That was, and, he was looking forward to that. And you know who was not cut from the newscast? The woman dressed as you. a mushroom. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and so he said, he's like, and I did, oh gosh, it was so funny. I was laughing so hard. He's like, Will, I want you to come on my podcast and explain what happened because you're getting so much joy from it. But it got too late. And I said, we'll do it in the morning. I'm driving back in in the morning. And I'm like, I wonder if it's not funny. I was just tired, you know? Mm -hmm. First thing that happens. He says, I got a text from the missus and all it said, send the link because he had told everyone he knows he was oh, going to be on no. the channel two news. In oh, he set himself up. Oh, geez. Poor guy. <laughs> and everyone, Scott, adventure Scott is about to be crying <laughs> because Scott understands that punch in the ego that that is. Oh, gosh. Uh, no, I I can understand him being upset. Yeah, but yeah, it's one of those things you're like so amped for it and you're just so ready for it. Yeah, you just like, oh, they got the back of my head. And it's like, oh, I mean, he didn't even like preview it. He just sat down. I was like, hey, guys, let's watch this. <laughs> so that's nothing to do with back. anything except for banter. But Guys, let's bring it back. Let, let's let's reel it in. I got one more one more item. Luddite live on Kickstarter from Cojito Ergo Meeple. These are the folks that did Solar One Seventy Five. We had a side quest on it some time back. I've actually, gotten Solar One Seventy Five in since then. They got Luddite live, and Maddie's going to share a bit about it. Let's take it to Maddie. Interested in cyberpunk sci-fi themed games? Well, we have something very exciting in store for you. 
Luddite is a roll and write campaign game with a fully integrated graphic novel. The game can be played solo up to unlimited players, competitively or cooperatively. Your mission, if you choose to accept it, is to hack into the neural networks of AI machines, trying to do as much damage as possible. During each game, players will roll three communal dice, then use these dice to interact with the various modules of the AI machine. One of these dice, however, must be added to the clock module, which acts as the timer for the game. So remember, you need to do as much damage as you can and then get out before the AI countermeasures kick in. Players will progress along the story set out in the beautifully illustrated graphic novel whilst competing to destroy ever more complex AI, creating a full campaign-style experience. Luddite is live on Kickstarter right now and is brought to you by Kagito Ergo Meeple, the designers behind Solar 175, which launched last year. Now, the Luddite Kickstarter has three distinct versions of the game to choose from, each containing everything from a gameplay perspective, but it also allows players to choose the model that fits them best. First, we have a print and play edition of the game. Here, players gain all the digital PDFs they need to print the game and play it at home. They also gain digital PDFs of the full graphic novel and rulebook. This budget-friendly option allows players complete access to the gameplay, artwork and story of Luddite, but at a hugely accessible price of only $5. Up from this, we've also created a full digital edition of the game. This video game version comes with a fully animated and voice-acted version of the graphic novel, and allows for us to throw in some awesome animations. As the computer itself handles a lot of the rules, it is actually also a great way to learn and teach the game to newcomers quickly. And of course, at the top end is a full physical edition of the game. All Kogito games put great emphasis on component quality, and Luddite will be no exception. From engraved metal coins to giant chunky dice, the Luddite physical game will give gamers a top quality, premium tabletop experience and presence. We'd love to have you join us on this journey, so head to the Luddite Kickstarter page to explore more and perhaps even back the project. Thanks so much. Hello, I'm Maddie from England talking about my game. <laughs> well, is that racist? Uh. No. Well, it's like appropriating. Are you allowed to make fun of people's acts? Well, you weren't making fun. You were emulating. Yeah. And I mean, that is my heritage. So it's okay so long as you are. of. The, uh, I think so. I think so. I actually, uh, did, have you guys tried it? What? So if from Britain? No, no, no. I mean, I, the, I don't mean the playing, I mean, the <laughs> game. The game playing Luddite. No, they were going to play with us online, but we never got the time. Yeah. They, they, they sent it to me as a print play. I just have not been able to get to it. Oh, um, man. But okay. I have Solar 175, and oh my god, I want to play it so bad. Oh, dude, you haven't played it yet. Well, I mean, just just when I covered it, I played like six or seven games. That's but, right, because you sent me the copy that you had. That's right. And my my buddy who I when I played it with, I thought he was digging it. We were going to play it together. He's like, I don't really like that. And so now what? I gotta figure out someone to play it with. You know what you could do is you could uh, you could get a rental out here in southwestern PA, and Scott and you and I could all sit down and play some Solar 175 whole campaign. 
You know, I am going to probably be spending a few days out in D.C. around Christmas time. I got to be out there for for family, so I can't go traveling too. But I don't know how far of a, that's not too far of a drive for you guys. Yeah, well, for like four hours, Scott. Hell, I hop on the train. Yeah, just get in the war wagon. <laughs> that's not my car. That's Nikki's. Let car. me know when that is. Yeah, that'll be yeah. cool. And now talking about things like that, because I know you have been really hot, Patrick, and maybe Scott on uh, Mistwind. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I just got the prototype in two days ago. Sweet. And I just had part of the team do a quick TTS demo for me because I knew I was coming. You have a team? No, they have a team. Okay. You have a team. You you have like five yeah, contributors. What are you yeah, talking about? No, when you said a team, I thought you meant like you had this like like a posse that's like, all right, yeah, we're going to show you how to play and meet up and like drop of a hat. We're going to come play games. It's like, God, well, that is literally you. Yeah, it is. kind of. <laughs> but I got to say, because I know you've been talking about it and mm-hmm. I am super excited for like I asked her, Stephanie, though, Gord did it to do this TTS demo for me because I knew you guys liked it. And I said, I'm coming on this show and I want to be able to talk about it unless it's trash because then I wouldn't (laughs) talk about it. And I am really excited about it. Like, so I'm all about this idea of like the, the sky whales, the flying whales. It's a second game with flying whales. I've been interested Mm -hmm. in first one was windward. And I wound up being right out because I was like, do we really need to be hunting the sky whales? I don't, I don't feel good about that. Because like they're what not doing, do? they're not even dangerous. They're just like doing their thing. I'm like, that's I feel bad about that. But using a whale to transport my goods around the world and pay them fish, that I can get behind. <laughs> <laughs> so you've played it so far? You, you've, no, you've had a uh, to, just one, game? just literally one turn, and I'm super excited. It's got everything about like ticket to ride that I like that kind of just making your routes, but the worker placement bit around the sides and the blocking, mm-hmm. like. I'm very excited. This might be the pick up and deliver game I've been looking for because I don't have one that I love. This could be it. Well, we're going to hold thoughts for that because I've actually been working on my write-up for it for next episode. It's going to be in the recent plays. I'll be talking about that one and uh, I'll share some of my thoughts. Uh, Hopefully, we'll be able to uh, catch a video uh, of yours. Uh, If you get a video up for that one, I'll be excited to watch your thoughts. Because I tried to get a demo at Origins and it just Mm -hmm. wasn't happening. I even reached out to First Fish in the lead up to origins, Hey, I'd love to get a demo. And they're like, well, you can come by the booth. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you could just sit down and play right there. And I couldn't get, couldn't get in. There was a, a lovely gentleman there who explained to me, that sounds really cool. I think my wife would love that. And I just couldn't get in, couldn't get in. And then one prototype freed up and I pounced on it. I was like, I'm more important than everybody else that's asking for this right now. <laughs> Scott, I actually messaged Stephanie already. And I said, Hey, I've already played it. So we're not going to ask for the prototype. Get it in front of people who will get it on camera for you. But mm-hmm. when the time comes, because I think their Kickstarter is going to be late August. I said, when the time comes, if you're going to have late pledges, if you're having people pass them on, we'd love to do a side quest or, or something and, and like fully feature the game because I thought it was that good. And I didn't want to shark it away from like people like oh, Will sure. with a little bit of a broader reach that can show the, the game's stunning on the table. And you lose some of that in audio format, you know, and, mm. and, and I told her, don't forget about us. We'd love to, I'd love to show this to Scott and we want to do an episode with it. So, but guys, we got to talk recent plays. How about we, uh, you know, Will, you're the guest. So we're going to go uh, Will, then Scott, then me. Okay. Okay. All right. So I'm going to start with another prototype that I got. And I got this, I asked to cover this because <sighs> I'm an idiot. I don't know. I saw it 
And I was, it's called Potions of Azerland. I was like, mm-hmm. Potions? That sounds like alchemy. I like alchemy. Oh, it looks pretty. Oh, it has dice in it and tableau building. And so I, that's it. And I was like, I'd like to cover this, please. And they're like, okay. okay. And so it showed up. Now, the art's by Bosley. Andrew Bosley. Yeah, Andrew Bosley. Yeah. So it looks really good. I wanted to start with this because Mistwind that we we're just talking about is a lighter game. Sure, sure. Fairly family friendly. Mm-hmm. And so is this one. This is a game that kind of reminds me of Nidavellir in the sense that you're setting your priority for each action every round. Mm-hmm. It's got this cool like slot thing where you're slotting in these tiles with your priority preference. And you're going to get to do all five things, but whoever has the higher priority gets the stronger action. And so you're going to be spending this to roll dice to gather the ingredients you need for your potions. You're going to be doing that to determine how many potions you can brew, who gets to buy stuff first, who gets to sell their potions to the customers coming in, which is how you're going to get your points and all that first, which is all pretty bog standard, right? It's you know recipe fulfillment game with some dice rolling. Well, what makes it super cool to me, and I really had a blast, is you can also drink your potions. You can be like, I made this... Scott's here to buy a love potion. We don't want to know why, but he's here to buy a love potion. And before that turn, I'd be like, I'm going to drink this potion myself and unlock powers or more likely get apprentices to come help me because you can get interns. They do work for you. And then I guess they die. They go away. I don't know what happens, but you know, if we don't talk about own, them. They get their own shop. Yep. You can do. No, they don't get their own shop uh you can you know, drink like the speed potion which might just be oh you run around town and do some work or if it's stronger you literally try to go rob the market and it becomes like a push your luck game as you're trying to rob the market where there's little symbols on some of the cards that have like someone grabbing your arm and if you get too many of them you get busted you lose points it it's a cool little game i am way higher on it than i thought i was going to be i'm going to be sad when they listen to this i totally just did it. i was like a potions and andrew bosley i'm in <laughs> you know, uh, looking at it on the table, they have some pictures up on BGG. It looks really cool. I'm intrigued just from the look of the game. Yeah, it's one that I would be totally down to do if the TTS is public. I don't know if it is, but if TTS is public, I would totally be down to do a game with you guys. Okay. It's quick. I taught it to three other people that are not heavy gamers. Like the heaviest they do is Wingspan. We played a four person game and we did the teaching and the playing hour 15 minutes nice is there any idea when it's gonna be hitting kickstarter or any dates that we can have i want to say it's hitting in august it might be september but it's soon i'm not gonna say it's imminent right but it is it is imminently imminent okay okay i can i can go with that i can play with that that's good what have you been playing recently scott well, I've been in the wilds of uh, South Dakota, so I haven't really had a chance to play much. So I took a bunch of games that are either going to be family friendly, that were in law approved, or solo games. Mm-hmm. So we seem to be on things that make Scott angry. So we're going <laughs> to continue with this uh, idea here. Well, we get an angry I Scott had, episode. <laughs> I had I took Hero Realms with me. Mm-hmm. So I'm a fan of Star Realms, so I figured Hero Realms is going to be pretty good. And I got uh, the Ruins, uh, what is it here? The Ruin of Thandar to go along with it because it's a campaign. You can play it solo. Boom, boom, boom. Sounds good. This did not scratch that itch for me at all. It's your basic deck builder. You have your money. You have your weapons in order to fight the, the creatures that come out. 
You're going to be building your deck and making your wizard or your cleric or your fighter more and more powerful as you go. By the time I got everything set up, I'm looking at it and I'm like, I need to go to sleep. I'm just, so I went to sleep. So I get up the next night. We had one day where I stayed at the RV. I let them go hiking. I was like, I'm just going to have a quiet day for Scott. So I did some laundry. I set this up on the table. I started playing it, going through it. It just did not grab me. It just got more into the the artwork is gorgeous. I absolutely love the artwork. The idea behind it is great. If you know Star Realms, you pretty much know 80% of the rules for Hero Realms. All right. But there's just something with dungeon crawlers that are a little more abstract. With this one here, you're playing cards to do a dungeon crawl. One deck dungeon, you're rolling dice to get through a dungeon. I'm like, this is going to be great. I'm going to have a great time. It's a solo game. Mm-hmm. No, it does not scratch that itch of what I'm looking for. You get your money, you build things up, you get rid of cards, the normal things that you do in deck builders. But unfortunately, this one here did not grab me. So we will put it, be putting this up for a giveaway at a future uh, meetup, maybe. <laughs> okay. Um, But if someone can explain to me why I did not enjoy it, I mean, send me a post. I'll be open to it if I did something wrong. So it'd be very cool. So, Scott, what I'm going to say to you, I've never been excited by Hero Realms either. I haven't played it. I just can't Mm -hmm. get excited by it. But there is a game that's not that small of a box. It has the deck building and the adventure that maybe you'd be into. I love it. It's called uh, it's called Battle for Greyport. Actually, I talked about it on one of my segments. Oh, okay. I love that game. And I, I don't know because it takes the thing I hate about deck building is money cards. Like right. I just I hate that. So that, that's out. That's totally out of the game. It doesn't oh, okay. exist. You know what money you have each round that you're gonna play. This you can choose from your coins, do that. Right. And the cards, the heroes you play, and the weapons, you're, you're chucking dice to do your damage. So it has that dice chucking dungeon mm-hmm. crawling goodness. So I, I love that one. So maybe, maybe if you could find a, a cheaper version of it, I, I would, a, a cheap copy, used copy, I would definitely recommend. I love that game. Yeah, I was thinking you were going to say Thunderstone because that's one I haven't played in a, a long time. And that's one that I kind of like to revisit that one again, too, as well. Yeah, I've wanted to play not Thunderstone, Thunderstone Quest. I've wanted to play once or okay. twice. I thought about getting it until I saw the size of the box, and I was like, "No, no one needs that." <laughs> now, Scott, you're a fan of Star Realms, right? Uh yeah, yeah. I I enjoy. It's more of the theme, the spaceships, the mm-hmm. space opera kind of thing. There, I get more into than than this one. This one just did not grab me, unfortunately. Huh. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I thought everything was there, everything lined up. I would set it up and I'm just like, yeah, this just is not working. I'm, I'll give it another try. I mean, it was one of those things I had limited room to actually play and I didn't want to sit there and play it and have my mother-in-law going on. What are you doing? I'll just put it away. You know what you got to do? You're not playing the mace, little Scotty. Play the mace. <laughs> you got to play with someone else. You were going solo, weren't you? Yes. Yes, I was. Give it a try. Heads up. Bring it to a SCG next Thursday. And, and I mean, it's a 10 minute game. I'm sure. Let's give it a let's give a crack at it because I love Star Realms. And I'm always curious about Hero Realms. Never played it. So we will do that. Let's give yes. it a try. OK, well, I feel like I should have a really good segue considering the name of the game. But instead, I'm just going to play Doc Brown. Great Scott. Great Scott. Great Scott. 
And that's the name uh, of this game. <laughs> great oh, Scott, oh. the game of mad. In- yes, you're great too. Great Scott, the game of mad invention. This comes from Sinister Fish Games. This is a 2016 game designed by David J. Clark, who also did the artist. So if you have ever, if you've ever woken up in the morning and thought, man, I got a hankering for some Victorian era drafting to create inventions. This is the game for you. <laughs> yes. Okay. So uh, think Victorian era, and you're going to be creating these all kinds of like wackadoo inventions just using cards. Uh, it's a drafting game. You have four different types of cards, primary, central, and final concepts. And then you have asset cards. The beginning of the game, you're going to draw two cards from each of those piles. They're all like a deck in the middle. So you've got these cards in front of you and they say things like uh, energetic or aardvark or whatever. They're, they're nouns and they're, they're descriptions, etc. The cards have types and they have points on them. And during the game, you're going to use them to build something. So what are you doing uh, on a turn? At the start of the round, everybody draws a card from whatever pile they want. And then they're going to play one card face down. Everybody reveals what they chose. And then you pass your cards to the left. When you're finished and like basically when the round is over, everybody's going to have a primary, then an asset, then a central concept, then an asset, and then a final. And the combination of those words makes your your big goofy machine and everyone's going to vote by issuing one point to someone for a good effort or two points for a highly commended creation. Uh, you're also going to get points for your device. Uh, some of the some of the cards have points on them. And I gather they're like, OK, this is a more difficult word to use. So if you use it, we're going to give you two points, for example. There's also an alliteration bonus where uh, alliteration, which will you're the English teacher. You can describe what alliteration means. Some super stalwart to do that. <laughs> yeah, using the same letter to begin each word in a phrase. Yeah, but uh, but specifically, it- though, same consonant. Yeah, well, yes, the same consonant. What did I say, word? Uh, you, you said letter because if you use the same vowels, that's actually something else. Oh, well, what's that? Oh, now you've asked me. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, not, it's, uh, it's, not, it's not assonance. It's um, healthy iteration. It's the opposite. <laughs> no, it's, oh, gosh, now, now, I, now I have to look it up. Now, now I can't remember it. <laughs> It's like outish. Anyway, while you're looking that up, after three rounds, uh, the points from the rounds that you had, plus any commendation cards and your collected points, that's going to score you. Oh, I was right. It is assonance. Oh, I had it right. Family show. (laughs) Hey, after three rounds, you're going to add up all the points that you got and a high score wins. Now, anytime that you incorporate voting for who did the best, that's going to make it like kind of more of a party game. Think like an apples to apples. It's a little more let's enjoy playing the game than playing to win. And just to give you guys an idea, like a commendation card might say an age of wonder. So I've got the card right here in front. Oh, my my camera's off. Hold on there. Now all the listeners can see it, too. <laughs> We've got the uh, the age of wonders. And it gives you a little outline of what you want your cards in the order to be. Everyone, and- I want you to know that he is holding up a card and he is completely naked behind that card. At the bottom of this card, it says a fabulous <laughs> form of transport. So at the end of the round, you want to uh, you want to be able to create a fabulous form of transport. So the cards that you played out might be might form an energetic acorn consuming emerald balloon. And then what you do is you have to describe to the table what that is. Like, oh, no, the balloon's not energetic. It's the acorns. You need to find these energetic acorns. And then the emerald balloon consumes it. And that's how you get this fabulous form of transport. However you describe it. I'm not good at describing that. But that's the idea. Everybody comes up with these these wacky creations using these funky words that they've put together and, and hopefully scored some points along the way and tries to get everyone to vote for them for coming up with the most clever or the best sales pitchy thing. 
All right. As I'm one to do, I'd like to to look up other other people's thoughts on a game before I talk about them on the show. And it came across the Dice Tower and dude, Vassal blasted this one. And his his main thing was that the words are not interesting and fun. And then he lists he proceeds to like list the words that I thought were fantastic, like acorn energetic like some of these these old bauxite just random words i was like okay well that's nice he's like oh man they should have had evil and vampiric and i'm like well then it would be like every other game that's it what he did mention and i kind of agree with is that you know we have apples to apples we have snake oil there's a lot of games of this ilk right does this one bring anything new to the table no not especially but it does have some funky words in it it is different the drafting's kind of weak in that you're just matching letters and card colors. So the gameplay itself, as far as like scoring points from what you're picking, is kind of weak. But I think that it's a game that you play for telling the story of what you've created. And what's kind of nice is it's not going to be like adult themed. So like they slip in dirty words here and there. And it's not the same old like, let's throw in fun words like explosive, you know, dynamite and dinosaur. Ejaculate. Thank you, Will. Thanks for that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway i got the chance to play this a couple times i don't know that it's one that i'm going to go back to regularly but for non-gamers they can join you for family it's pretty good it's got some unique words going on i like it is it going to be for everyone no does it do anything unique in this space no but it does have some great art some cool words and that's great scott you know in any game that has the vote for the winner mechanic I'm not feeling it mm-hmm. unless it is. Now that's, you know, I will play joking hazard. Sure. sure. But like, I'm not pretending that I'm trying to win. And I think it's the biggest problem. These party style games have is they try to make it to where you can win. Like we don't try to win just one. We just play same thing with letter jam. I mean, we kind of try to win, but not really. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're just trying to accomplish it together. The whole voting thing. It, it's a turnoff for me, but the wordplay sounds as fun as any other game. It is. It's as fun as, as any other game. I, I will say it feels like this one is trying to be more gamey than something like a joking hazard. You are going to have some some laughter as you're describing what you've created, but it's not, you know, we'll say games of that type. You know, I think joking hazard is successful because you have to ham it up and you're saying, you know, inappropriate things or, or you know, an energetic acorn consuming emerald balloon. Okay, well, that, that's a wild invention. That That's crazy. Are you going to be able to evoke laughter? Like, unless you have a table of really funny, like, comedian-type people, you know, I can see my wife going, okay, so this or is- Or, like, serious pedants, right? Like, serious pedants. Like, oh, my word. You think an acorn can be energetic? <laughs> Maybe. You know what? Maybe that's where it works, is somebody who's not funny. If everybody is, like, a bunch of bean counters or, like- Oh, I don't know. Uh, it just didn't didn't work for me. No, I can understand what you're saying. It's a neat idea for a game. I, I will give it that there. I like the idea of building some sort of crazy Victorian steampunk kind of invention, having to win over the crowd that you're talking to as to why it's going to be the best acorn-powered dirigible that anyone's ever seen. But I think that you kind of nailed it where there are so many of those out there. It's kind of hard. Yeah, you differentiate with the different theme, but whenever you look at them, it's really kind of the same game over and over and over again. Yeah. yeah. It sounds like the joy of this one might be, and maybe the three of us, because we all think we're funny, are going (laughs) in the wrong direction. 
maybe the fun of it is if you are playing it and you are like legit like going for it being if you if you take the game really seriously perhaps that's where the fun is and that's when it becomes fun because you're like no like legit like clearly you have a dirigible made of energetic helium filled acorns i mean that's science you know so maybe if everyone around the table gets in that frame of mind maybe it's fun or it might just be you know like what flavor of this type of game do you want you know it's just and it is flavor. unique in that regard yes absolutely okay spoilers i liked my next game oh excellent <laughs> Me too. <laughs> hey, King, you remember we talked about Factory 42? Yeah, you you seem to really like that one. Heck yeah, I did. And we even got a level up promo card in their Kickstarter last year. <laughs> I, I remember uh, a bit of level up for the show getting that promo from Dragon Dawn. And you know they did Grey Eminence. And Michelle as well. Uh, we've done a bit for them, actually. Well, now they're going to do a bit for our listeners. Did you manage to get another promo code? Oh, you bet, King. 10% off this one is using promo code level up on their website. Now, this is for anything on their site. Mm-hmm. White Hat, Gray Eminence, Factory 42, Beyond the Rift, everything. Even the giant Dungeon Crawler Perdition's Mouth Abyssal Rift. Everything is 10% off with promo code L-E-V-E-L-U-P. So, if I'm seeking a new adventure, where does I journey to use this mythical promo code spell? Two easy ways to do it. You can click on the logo for Dragon Dawn on our homepage at levelupgamepodcast.com or get on over to ddpgames.com and click shop. I, I Easily, I gotta tell you, one of my favorite things we're able to do with this show is find some ways to help adventurers save some money and score some loot. So get on with an adventures, ddpgames.com, click shop, promo code L-E-V-E-L-U-P. Level up. All right, Brown, like I said, floor is yours. Give us your other recent adventure. Yes, and I'm going to keep this one shorter. This is also a Sinister Fish game. This is coming to Kickstarter very, very soon. It's called Wizards & Co. Every player is a wizard that's sending their minions into the dungeon to get gems and treasure. And at its heart, it is a set collection game if you're trying to collect sets of gems. And as you're sending your monsters in, each of your monsters or minions has a strength value, monster type, and it has a power that's going to happen. And you're going to put these cards, these monsters, into each of the entrances. And once it fills up all the way... You're going to go around in a specific order, activating the powers on all of these monsters. Now, here's mm -hmm. the catch. Sometimes you're putting the cards face down. Sometimes you're putting them face up. Sometimes you put multiple in one dungeon or you split them apart. But depending on how many cards you put face down or face up in one or two dungeons, that tells you how many cards you get to draw so you can keep playing every round. But the core, the meat of the game is as you're going around the dungeon, you're activating powers and you're trying to outthink people because the powers on the monsters might be kill all giants in the dungeon. And then okay. all the other giant cards are removed so they don't get any treasure. They don't activate and they don't get to add their power to the dungeon. And so at the end of the, the battle, once it's all filled, whoever is the strongest gets to take an artifact, which is worth points and gives you a power and the enchantment which is worth points and you're just kind of playing through the game trying to outthink everybody outthink the other players get the best artifacts that you can send in with your monsters to fight with it's a clever 
little game if you're into screwing the other players, but not instant screwing, delayed screwing. It's mm-hmm. I think if I do this thing, I'll put this face down. I'm going to screw Scott later because I think I know what Scott's going to do. He's going to put his Titan there. And then, oh, no, I killed your Titan, Scott. I'm so sorry. Get out A of my nice, day. slow, pre-planned screwing. That's my kind of screwing. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, it, that's something there. It celebrates you being able to read what's going to be over around you what they're going to do and play things how you want to do it so i think it's not really like screw the other players but it's what i want to say here reward you for playing smart oh absolutely because when i play i screw myself often because i will be like ah here we go kill all the giants oh shoot i forgot i put that card face down and now i've Mm -hmm. put a giant in this room also and now it's dead so it's a clever Fast game, and I don't know if when this video or this podcast posts, but I I do have a video and I do actually have a two player playthrough of it. If you're interested in checking it out, and it's also I do like it's a I'm holding up the box for them. It's a it's a small box, like it's small oh, yeah. than a ginormous head. <laughs> well, I, you know what? I would not have given this game a second look, uh, and it's because the box does nothing for me. It seems like a generic name, and it's got your standard like this. This is fantasy art cartoonified, but. Your description sounds intriguing, and I'm looking over the designers, Flaminia Brasini, uh, Virginio Gigli, Stefano Loperto, and Antonio Tinto. Dude, some of the credits for games created by this group, First Rat, Golem, Grand Austria Hotel, Lorenzo Il Magnifico, Coimbra, they, those are some games. Like, mm-hmm. I want to give this a look now, because I every one of those that I listed, I haven't played Golem, but the other ones I like, so I'm, I'm going to give this one a whirl. I hadn't looked that up. That's quite the, the pedigree, and I, yeah, exactly. I can't wait to play First Rat. I bought a copy because you told me to, and it looked cute. So I, I haven't played it yet. Neither's my <laughs> wife. But uh, you know what? I'll do that one as my other sharing the thoughts for next episode because I, I got to play it again yesterday. It was at uh, Nikki's meetup and I uh, had a really good time. Got to show off first rat and we got to play a five player game. So it was, well, no, it was four. Was we the meetup in Nikki's basement? It was not. I see what you did there. Stop stealing my sound effect. It's stolen. You can't stop it. <laughs> As it turns out, uh, she's moving. Uh, so she's she's actually, uh, this one was held at a local store. The owner opened on Sunday specifically for her meetup as a private event. Uh, it had a lot of the same folks that we're used to seeing at her, at her house when she does her meetups. It was wonderful. It was a good time. In the meanwhile, I want to get to Scott. Let's hear another recent play. Okay. Well, once again, I was out in the Badlands of South Dakota. Oh, so. <laughs> wow! So, you know, while Patrick, we're turn out on there, your camera so we can see you and look you in the eye. <laughs> while we're out there, we would go to different national parks, and I'm in the mood. I didn't take it with me because I had just so much room in my suitcase. Because all theater people know you can't take it with you. No, exactly, you can't. I wanted to take parks with me. I figured, hey, this is a perfect thing to take. Well, no, and then it's stuck in the back of my mind. I'm like. I wonder if I'll ever come across this. And luckily, the second day we were there, we were at one national park and they had a copy of it. And I picked it up immediately. And that was a copy of Trekking the National Parks. All right. So this is from uh, Charlie Bank and the Trekking uh, <laughs> Huge Capital. Is Will dying? <laughs> Get it together, Brown. He's choking. He's choking. No one could hear. He muted his audio. This might get I, cut, but I'm having a really good time with it. I know. I, I don't know if he's dying about the wine or the game. 
<laughs> oh, he's he's giving us the hold on a second <sighs> finger. Okay. So and he's back. What, I'm dying from the wine. <clears throat> because I was trying, I was gonna make a joke. It was gonna be real good. But I hadn't finished drinking the wine. Uh, mm-hmm. and um oh well uh, adventures it's a good thing I'm at least like a level four because otherwise I'd be dead. Like that <laughs> one's that one hurt. Oh man. <laughs> Sorry, Scott. Just everyone imagine the joke was very good. It was the moments past. Insert laughter, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Will, you're a card. <laughs> but anyway, yes, I picked up a copy of Trekking the National Parks thinking, hey, this will be a good one to, to, to play. And if you're not familiar with it, Trekking the National Parks is very, very similar to uh, Ticket to Ride. So once again, you pick up cards, you move around the country, you had to satisfy certain recipes, if you will, of fire or paws or trees or mountains, different things like that at the different parks. As you flip them over, instead of drawing uh, new tickets that you would do in Ticket to Ride, you're going to be drawing different national parks that you can go and visit. This was especially cool because my in-laws are going on a trekking tour of going to all sorts of different national parks around the country for the next two and a half months or something like that. Mm -hmm. So what you want to do is you have your camper and you start out in the middle of the country and you start moving around. You'll move around. There are discs on all the places where there are national parks. Each time that you stop on one of the parks, you will pick up that disc. Now more on those in a few minutes. Now, what you're going to do is you're going to draw cards and you want to end up on, you'll see what cards you have for the national parks on the one side of the board. Whenever you get there, you will have to have the recipe in order to purchase that park. First one to have five national parks wins the game. Now, there are also three super national parks that whenever you land there, If you have the recipe to use it, you can put your little tent there and camp out. And each time that will give you a special ability that you'll be able to use to help you out during your travels all over the country. Once the game is over and someone has five uh, national parks, you'll add up all the points that you get from visiting those parks. All right. They'll go anywhere from three points up to 10 points and add those all up. With those discs that you get, you also have a way of getting uh, points for whoever has the most discs of a certain color. So you want to keep those in mind because those are all put out completely random each and every time that you play this. This was a hit. This has definitely got the stamp of in-law approval. No problem whatsoever. I left it with them in the RV for whenever my brother-in-law and his wife go out. They love Ticket to Ride, so I figured this is perfect. They'll be able to play this as well. Similar way, yeah. Exactly. And it's it's a refreshing game. It's a game that you have to plan, like, what cards you need, where you need to end up on the uh, map of the United States, what how many of the discs you have, all these little things like that, but nothing that really overwhelms you with strategy. It's just enough to like keep you entertained and have a good time playing this. This was a high point of uh, the whole time. Fit great on the table in the camper. Took maybe an hour to play at the very most. Yeah, it was just a pleasure to play this game. So trekking the national parks definitely got thumbs up from me and my family. 
Scott, you'll recall a couple episodes ago, I talked about trekking through history. And I said, yes. you know, it, I, I really like this and it's going to appeal to a lot of people. It's definitely on the lighter end and and in a good way in that you don't you can't get in your own way in the game. You know, I, mm-hmm. I mentioned a couple of times in the top 10 episode, a couple of the games that I listed through the ages and barrage. One of the things that I like about them is that there's a skill curve, like just trying to figure out how to play and and like function within your turn, you can play yourself into a corner. You can't do that with trekking. They did a fantastic job where, you know what, if you're not making the most optimal play, you're still doing something cool. Yes. You know, oh, you could have planned that out better so that you could do who cares? You're still getting to do something. And I think maybe that's that's one of the things that makes these games so we'll say, well, you said in-law proof, so appealing. You don't ever really get that feeling of I'm losing. What's the point of still playing? You don't get that really defeatist mentality set up there. Everyone's still in it till the very end because you don't really know. I mean, some people can hide their discs, so you have no idea how many they have. They could be covering up their national parks, not showing you how many points they have. I'm I'm sitting there looking over like, oh, I need to get a couple 10 parks here and uh, I see where they're at. So but yeah, it's little strategy things you can add into it. But just on face value, it's a great game. It's it's really a lot of fun. Good components because they stood out in trekking through history. Well, as far as components go, you just have uh, campers and you have a little tent. So nothing really special or fancy or anything. But the pictures that they have from the national parks are just absolutely gorgeous. Okay. Sounds like this one's getting the old recommend. Oh, most definitely. Definitely getting the recommend there. What's your final one here, Patrick? All right, last one for the day. And I said, you know, both my games tie into that whole teaching English theme. I'm going to talk about a game called Fiction. This comes, this is a 2023 game from All Play. And dude, if All Play is not on your radar, this is the company that used to be Board Game Tables. We mentioned them a bit on the show because, uh, well, because I work. Because they're Patrick's Overlord. Mm -hmm. Basically, yes, we're, we're bought, we're, we're already bought and paid for by All Play. No, they're, they're just a fantastic company. Good folks. And frankly, really good small footprint games. Fiction is no different. So in a game of fiction, what are you doing? This is a Wordle inspired game and I had never played Wordle. So this was all new to me, but if you're familiar with Wordle, this is going to be appealing to you. The way the game's played is at the start of the game, it's multiple players. One person is going to be the librarian emphasis on the lie and we'll get there. The players are going to choose one work of literature. Uh, there's a deck for little women and a deck for the wonderful Wizard of Oz, Treasure Island, etc. And say eight cards in that deck. The librarian's going to pick up the card, uh, top card, and they're going to just look it over. And there's going to be some words highlighted, five letter words, be them yellow or red. And it's basically taken from an excerpt from that story. So, for example, if uh, if I have the wonderful Wizard of Oz, my, one of my words they tend to be them- thematic to the story, might be house or witch, right? I'm going to write that down secretly. Dry erase marker behind the behind the box. You just stand the box up and your little pad sits behind it. So I know what the word is. You start and you got to guess a five-letter word. Any word. Scott, give me a five-letter word. Pious. Okay, pious. P-I-O-U-S. You write it down. You've got a dry erase board that has five slots. You're going to get five guesses and then you have a second board It's got five more guesses, and I'll explain why in a moment. The librarian looks at that word pious, and we'll say that the word is witch. And they're going to put little tokens above each letter. And the tokens will say either an X, which means no, this isn't even in the word. A yellow with like that little about symbol, which means, yes, this is in the word. This letter is in here, but it's in the wrong spot. 
or a check mark, which means this is not only in the word, but it is in the exact right spot. Right, so I'll do that. I'll put it on top of each of your letters that, on that piece that you just slid up your, your word. The players are going to glean some information based on those tokens that say, yes, this is in the word. No, it's not. Or yes, this is in the word and it's in the exact right spot, et cetera. So they're going to look that over and then they're going to make a second word. So we know that uh, pious versus which we know that the uh, the I is in there. So you're going to come up with a new five letter word, ideally not one with a P and an O and a U because you already know that those aren't in there. Uh, so much not like poops. <laughs> sure. Not poops because you'll be wasting two P's and uh, and the S. <laughs> The players are going to write down another word and you're going to wash, rinse, repeat. Now, there are two catches. One, when the when the librarian is putting those tokens above each letter, they're allowed to lie about one token. So when I put those those tokens above your guess, pious compared with which, there is no P in which, but I might put a yellow token that says, yes, there's a P in here, but it's in the wrong spot. And then the other four, I have to tell the truth. You're allowed to lie about one thing. So I'd put a uh, a green over the uh, the I because you got it in the exact right spot. The O, the U, and the S, I would just put a, a, a an X, one of those black X's and say, nope, this isn't even in there. You don't know what I'm lying about. I do. And I mark it because that, that's why I have my dry erase board behind the box so that you can't see. That's my way of keeping track. And now you're going to do it again with a second word and then a third word and then a fourth word, et cetera, all the way up until you've made 10 words. But here's the catch. The game has kind of like a halftime. That first five guesses, you have 10 minutes. So you can't sit there collectively just like thinking and brainstorming because honestly, I think most players would get it within five or six guesses if you just took your time. No way. You start the timer. You have 10 minutes. What if we only get through three of our word guesses in those first 10 minutes? Well, then you lose the other two guesses and we're on to the back half of the game for a new five guesses, right? You got that? Mm -hmm. That's the game. After either the 20 minutes is up or the 10 guesses are up or the players have guessed correctly, the game ends. Yeah, I think whenever we were learning it, I don't know if it's um, it, it was one thing that, that threw me off with the lying part. It seemed like they could lie whatever they wanted to whenever we were doing it. It was just like a quick learn. It was a quick here it is, blah, 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 real quick. I'm sure I probably picked something wrong up on it. So that kind of turned me off there. I was like, well, what's the fun of it? Because you're just going to lie every single time about oh, you what I'm going to be doing. So it's like. What's the fun of that? But um, as far as Wordle goes, I mean, yeah, it's it's a clever idea. Yeah, I pick Pious because, yeah, whenever I play it, that's always my first one. I get rid of I, O, U, and my vowels, and then I go to thank, and I get rid of my A. So I know an E will be in there someplace then immediately. So I played it a few times. It has, like you said, small footprint, easy mm -hmm. to play. And I think that's one of the things that shines with their games is they are such a small footprint and they're easy to pick up, play. They don't ever stay there welcome, but also they stay long enough to have good times playing. There's it. some meat on the bones. Yeah. It's not one of those ones where you get done with it and it's finished right away. And then that's it. No, I've never played, though. I did stand next to you, Patrick, while you were helping a young child be a liar. <laughs> that was fun. Yeah, and everyone was having a good time. I don't know if they wound up buying a copy, but the kid wanted dad to buy a copy. Uh -huh. So that was one. But, you know, it's not my kind of game. I don't even play Wordle because when it comes down to it, I act like I'm smart, but I'm really not. So it, oh, those not. kind of games usually make me feel dumb. Like I'm particularly <laughs> bad at Letter Jam. Like I'm, I enjoy it, but I'm particularly bad. 
Well, Scott, I'm glad that you mentioned the whole, they're going to lie every time. Yes, of course, the librarian is going to tell a lie every single word, but the players collectively have three factor fiction tokens. So if you're starting to get held up on some like, okay, I'm sure there's an I, I'm sure there's a T. He keeps telling us that there's a P in this word. And I just, I can't think you can three times in the game, take one of those tokens and put it on one of your letters and say, okay, that P that you said was in there, you you keep telling us it's in there. I want to know fact or fiction. Are you telling us the truth or is it a lie? And I have to be honest, if if I was lying about whatever letter you put your token on, I have to tell you, okay, that you're right. You caught me. That is a lie. That is not in the word. Okay. You have three of those tokens. So you do have a means of narrowing them down. And believe me, most, most players, because I demoed this thing probably... She's probably 30 times that day. Most players will start to deduce, okay, I think they're lying about this, which is neat because mm. then the librarian actually has a game to play. Like, oh, no, I, I walked myself into a corner. I have to continue lying about this one because I think they're believing me. Ah, it's It was a lot of fun. I, I really enjoyed fiction from all play. Good times. Very cool. Very cool. My boy. It's my I boy. I love him. <laughs> I barely had to play the. Uh, I'm, I'm surprised we even played the sound effect, guys. There's only one thing to mention. Frost Haven is up four spots to number 71. That's literally it. That is that is it. That is it, chat. Well, see, that's what it was. I was on vacation. And they figured, let's just shut things down here for the week while he's gone. Then we'll pick it back up. I'm so disappointed. It's my turn to do the walkthrough. I've gone like eight episodes without having to do the walkthrough. <laughs> I'm up. I get it. Let's get on with it. Okay. Hey, adventurers. Today's review game, Rauha, is designed by Johannes Geppi and Theo Rivieri, and it is a 2023 game from the folks that brought us Nidavellir Grrr Games. In Rauha, you play as shamans restoring life to a barren planet. After four rounds of play, the shaman who's collected the most points will win the game. Now, setup's quite easy. Each player gets a player board, which is basically a 3x3 grid. Now, each base on the grid has a simple starting ability, but throughout play, most of these are going to be covered up by tiles that players are going to be choosing. Each player also gets some crystals to start the game, which, for all intents and purposes, they serve as sort of a currency, as some tiles that you're going to select have a cost to play or to activate. Each player's shaman marker starts in the top left corner of their player board. Now, turns are simultaneous, and here's how it works you got a stack of tiles between each player at the table. On the first turn, everybody's going to move their shaman to be above the very first column of that 3x3 grid. Then you're going to pick up a stack of tiles from your left and select one. This tile can be discarded for crystals or a spore token, and we'll get there. But typically, you're going to be playing it to any space on your 3x3 grid. Now, the placement matters for a few reasons. First, that shaman that's above the first column, well, after everyone's selected and placed their tile, the first column's going to activate, providing any bonuses found on the three slots below it, typically some amount of crystals or points. And hey, just like that, the first turn's done. Each player slides their shaman piece over the second column of their player board, and they select a tile from the other stack, the one between you and that other neighbor. Now you understand why placement is important for activating the tiles, but further, tiles have a number of symbols on them. Mushrooms or trees, mountains, basically landscapes, or they can have an animal symbol, a feather, hooves, waves. The importance of these symbols, beyond that you might find a synergy to score points, is divinities. There are seven divinities in the game, and if you ever have three symbols in a row on your player grid, you immediately collect that divinity and you activate its power. Beware, though, because if someone else in the game gets the same three in a row as you did on a future turn, they'll be able to steal that divinity from you. 
Now, two more factors. That shaman piece at the top of your grid, eventually it's going to reach the top right corner of your player board, at which point players can activate any divinities that they still hold. And remember I mentioned the spore tokens? This is also where you have the opportunity to activate every tile on your player board that houses a spore token. Finally, while the shaman token is in the corner, players are going to count up how many water symbols they have on their board, and points are awarded based on who has the majority, and then second place, and so on. In round two, the shaman token moves down the right side of your grid, activating each of those three rows, and then across the bottom, then the left of the grid in rounds three and four, respectively, until finally it reaches the top left location where it began, and after one last corner scoring, the game ends and the high score is the winner. Now, we've played this game a ton, even in person with Will at Origins, so enough with the walkthrough. It's time to get back to the studio for our 8-bit breakdown of Rauha. After a millennia of sterility, life has sprung again on Rauha. As a venerable shaman, one of its five worlds has been entrusted to you. Your powers are divine and allow you to shape the environment in order to turn this world into a cradle of life energy, keeper of serenity and harmony for the centuries to come. You did a great job, Patrick. It was the best walkthrough yes. ever heard, and it, it inspires me to want to have an 8-bit breakdown of Rawahwahwahwahwahwa. No, you had your one. You had your one. It's Rauha moving forward. Rauhahwa. Anyway, adventures. Now's the time whenever we like to break down these games into an eight-bit breakdown. So we have eight different bits that we go into, and I'm gonna start it off here. If that's all right. Sound all right. good? Yeah, you're okay. up, Scott. So number one is the art in components. The art here is very minimal. I mean, there's nothing that's really like Oh my God, it's earth shattering, but it's very unique. I like how they just have little things on the tiles that you place of mountains or these mushrooms, all these little things like that. The little symbols you have up in the top corners, they're easy to spot out. Mm -hmm. Bottoms, you can see what the uh, powers do. Very, very simple. The little wooden pieces. I'll be honest, they kind of creep me out. I have no idea what the <laughs> hell they're supposed to be, but they kind of have weird ears and eyes. That's all I know. And they just kind of like stare at you. They're clearly um, druids. Clearly. What was I thinking? Uh, yes, it is clearly a druid. But I like the way that it's set up. They they actually go a little bit further than you really need to. This is a game where you get the tiles and you take one and you pass along. That's easy enough. You don't have to be told what to do or anything. But no, they have little things in between each person saying this is the direction things are going to be going. Mm -hmm. So they did take the care to add these little things to make the game a little bit more special, a little bit more than what it really needed to be. Uh, did they need to have a player board for everyone? No, they could have easily just had cards and that's it. And you make a three by three square and that's all there is to it. But they went that little extra, the extra mile there to make it a nice production whenever they made this game. You know, I believe they're French, so it'd be the extra kilometer. Uh, good point. Good point. Yep. Sorry. Will, what, what do you think? Sure. You know, the person that's going to love this art style and the presentation is the person that loves beige. 
<laughs> yeah, there's a lot of beige happening. I mean, it's that that's like the I feel like when they were th- they were visualizing it, they're like, I see beige. Mm-hmm. And someone was like, what if you added some beige? <laughs> you know, it's so it's very not exciting to look at. I do like you know the the, the tiles, the cards that you know, the little different vistas or whatever they are. They do look actually kind of neat if you look at them and they do actually reference what the card does a little bit when mm-hmm. you pay attention. I like little spore tiles, little wooden spore things. Those are kind of neat. I yeah. love the little druid dudes. That's the best part. I love those dudes. They kind of <laughs> slot into the side and they're just like mm-hmm. judging everything. But <laughs> I'm not enamored with the components at all. The the box is too big. Like it's there's so much air in the box. I'm angry. I'm angry. How much air there is in the box. Now, if they come out with a whole bunch of expansions that then fill that box up, then I'm no longer angry. But until that day, until that day, I am angered. But thinking that I don't have it, is it the same size as Nidavellir? No, it is. I'm going to go 40% bigger. Oh, really? Oh, okay. I was wondering if they were just going with the idea that all our games are going to fit in this size of box. But uh, okay. Yeah, I'm going to agree with what you guys said. There's there's not a whole lot of color here. Uh, each of the divinities that you can acquire, that's about the most color that you're going to see on the table. Other than that, it is very brown. The components are fine. You know, nothing's like, holy cow, this is this is amazing. But nothing is low quality. You know, I, there wasn't anything that could be like, oh, man, I got to bring this up because that was just bad. No, it was fine. The most appealing thing to me is a box cover. I really like the look of this box. That is true. It, is, it does have to have lovely art on it. Mm-hmm. Got those little druids in there staring at you from the oh, darkness. God. Let's take it to bit number two: the theme and immersion, guys. Thematically, we're druids on this. You know, we're we're discovering this desolate land, this lifeless land, and we've got to inject life back into it. Sort of, sort of terraform it, if you will. What did you think? Uh, we'll lead with Will. There's a theme. <laughs> Fair enough, Scott. I mean, I'm, but yep, that I'm being snarky, but I'm also serious. That there's a theme. Yeah, I I don't think that it it comes across that well that you are playing as a druid. This is one of those ones where you have in your mind you need to line up so many different ingredients. You need to line up things in a certain order. You need to get your oh god, what are they called the the spores? Yeah, get the those spores, the crystals, You want to get those sure. little things there. So and don't forget your water. Don't forget your water. Keep hydrated. You play the game, but it doesn't really come across as a theme. You it's have an idea what's behind it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it very abstract, and they had to have some kind of story to go along with it, and this was as good as any other one. Yeah, you know, and, and I kind of like the theme, and I think that it works because your player board's going to be getting things added to, and it's going to be evolving throughout play. Uh, thematically, it makes sense. It's just not a very strong theme, and I don't think anybody's yeah. acquiring this one because of the theme. Oh, I get to go, uh, you know, bring life back to this land and acquire these, you know, divine beings. Sounds cooler than it actually is through its execution. You're not going to be immersed in it, but uh, hey, they got to go with something. It's an abstract game. Think of it that way. Bit number three, complexity. It's not a very difficult one. Why don't you take the floor, Scott? All right. So complexity, I have a habit of reading rule books sometimes and uh, doing a half-assed job of it. So I'll go <laughs> through it and I'll get what I think I need out of it and go and I'll just play it. Well, I didn't read the whole thing about the spores and how important those spores are to get out there. So I was kind of confused as to what the hell was going on. But once you figure out what everything does, which doesn't take long at all, 
it's not a complex game. One of the, I mean, we say it all the time. It's not a complex game. The complexity comes in with your decisions you make. Sure. Do you want to cover up the mushrooms to put in another flame in order to line up the flames, possibly losing your synergy you had with something else? I think this is where I, it's probably going to shine for you, Patrick. Okay. In that you need to math out where you're going to get the biggest boom for your buck as far as what lines up and what you're going to give Absolutely. up in order to move forward. So me, I'm trying to grasp onto a theme there or whatever and try and make something that in my mind would make sense would be there instead of just looking at it in more of a calculating way as to what's the most productive move I can make here to get the most points. Yeah, the complexity, definitely, it's not a problem at all. You'll pick it up and, oh, God, within the first round, you're done. You you know the whole game, really. Yeah, so I actually, now, when I read rule books, I usually whole asset. Okay, good, but, good. But in this case, I've never opened the rule book because I got this game, went to Origins, and on the Wednesday, they were having demos of wah, 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 wah. The follow-up to the Devilier was I was like, I'm in, played it. The very next morning, I was able to get in early, like our know, magical press passes, and I ran straight over. I was like, gimme, I have a catch, <laughs> gimme. And so I actually never read the rule because I was taught the game. Mm-hmm. But that said, it is not complex at all. Though, I, was, I say I've never opened the rule. I did open the rule book to look up one thing, just to make sure I was doing it right. And I don't know that the, the oh, wait, this is complexity? What is this? What are we doing? We're on the complexity. Oh, complexity. Yeah, it's not complex at all. I taught Don Gilstrap, one of the designers of Backyard Chickens. He was over the other day. I taught him and we played a game in 35 minutes. I like Backyard Chickens. We had a lot of fun with that one, Scott. Yes, we did. But yeah, so he lives up the the street. I mean, 40 minutes up the street. But, you know, we're California. Everything's 40 minutes away from the street. Yeah. Yeah. So but yeah, so he was over. I taught him. We we were playing. And um, yeah, it, it is not a complex game. Not a complex game, even if you're playing with the the advanced side of your player. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Honestly, nothing to add to you guys. Let's go right to the rule book and the learning curve. Uh, okay. So this is going to get weird. Uh, Will, you never, you never saw the rule book, right? Well, I did finally open it. You, you opened it once. You never actually like learned yep. the game through I, the rule book. I finally opened it. And let me tell you, I couldn't find what I was looking for. Oh, okay. So we got a strike. Scott, <laughs> you learned it on BGA from one of us, right? I learned it from BGA just being thrown in the deep end and just making it happen. Just clicking. Okay. And yep. I learned it I learned it from BGA from the like you click on rules, like the how to play yes. right underneath the game. And that was the extent of how I learned. So I guess we're gonna cheat the adventures on rulebook here. So let's go to learn. It has one. It can we all agree it has one? Yes, it, it does. Rule book. Yeah. Well, yeah. I haven't actually no, I saw it. Will broke it out. So yes, it has one. The learning curve, on the other hand, we all experienced. And, you know, learning curve as far as how to play, we kind of went over that in complexity. You're not going to have a difficult time learning how to play. But there is a, a bit to discover in this game. What with the, the tiles that you're acquiring, where you're placing them, the divinities that you're getting. Oh, my goodness. Water is important for those uh, those quarterly scoring when your piece gets to the corners. The animals, no, the learning curve especially matters because the tiles get better. Like yes. as you progress through the game, the, the tiles that you have to choose from get significantly better. And knowing what to expect, that matters a lot. I feel like this game's going to reward experience. Mm. Yeah, and knowing when to throw a tile away 
to either get a spore or just get four crystals and figuring out the timing of knowing when the player order is going to matter, which is mm -hmm. when you're putting down the tiles to claim one of those divinities, when you're going to put it down into a row or a column and those things passing around. That's where I think the complexity is. And the first time that I played and maybe even the second time, someone invariably was like, yeah, water doesn't matter. No, water matters, people. Water really matters. Yeah. It's like, it's Especially a big if there's deal. a big gap. Yeah. Anything to add, Scott? I mean, I think that we covered everything there uh, as far as the learning curve. It's not difficult whenever you pay attention to it. But um, <laughs> yeah, once you get it, it opens up in, I mean, it's very, very simple to play. But like you said, this is definitely one that you're going to get to the point that you play it on autopilot. Yeah, uh, this is one of those ones that you want to play to get that number one spot on BGA or something. You're going to play it over and over and you get to that point of like, this goes here, this goes here, this goes here. Learning curve. Yeah, it's very, very simple. All right, boys, let's talk meat. You know, I love my meat. Where's the meat in Rauha? Well, clearly the meat is in the divinities. I think okay. that's where the meat is because you can't get them all. And finding the time to get those divinities often means you're covering up what's probably a good tile mm -hmm, that you already yeah. have to make that choice. And when are you going to make that move? I think the meat is there and the meat is in drafting and that decision you have to make of, okay, I'm going to take these cards from my star side on my left. I'm going to leave this one because I don't think that Scott is going to take this because he doesn't have no. crystals or whatever, and it's going to come back. And so that kind of pushed your luck, trying to get your drafting right and the divinities. I think that's where the meat is of the game, I think. Uh, mine, I think, is really along the side of those quarterly scoring things mm -hmm. that come up. You play your three rounds, you put out your uh, different tiles, then that quarterly one comes up. And then that's your chance there to make sure you have what you need in order to play the next three round, three turns. So I think that's a very important thing there that you don't want to end up getting zero uh, crystals in order to be able to pay for things. You really need to make sure that you're setting up your stash for the next three turns. Yeah, um, yeah, that's where I think the meat is for me in that game. I think having played it a handful of times, you know, we can probably all agree that there's there's a few different strategies. You're either going to be heavy in water or animals or both. And the animals can be winged. They can be sea mm -hmm. animals. They can be, you remember, because there's scoring mm -hmm. tiles that, yeah, they, the, the hooked animals. You can score points based on divinities for each. So it's kind of like an exponential gain for hammering home on one. There's definitely a spore strategy whereby in that first quarter, you can activate the one to put a spore token on the other, then activate it to put a spore token on another, so that by the time you're on like the third quarter of the game, you're basically just acting seven, uh, activating seven or eight of those tiles that you have down just because of spores. My point is, knowing that there are a handful of pretty solid strategies and that you're going to want to dabble into each of them to some extent, then you can see that the meat comes in, all right, which divinities do I need to steal and when? What card do I take now? What's my player to my right going to take if I leave it sit? Okay, that means that this one's going to come back. A little bit of pre-planning combined with getting those divinities, placing in the right spots on your player board. Absolutely. You know, for a relatively quick game and an easy to learn game, there's a bit of meat on the bones here. Yeah, definitely. I, I agree. 
Bit number six, the replayability and variability. Scott. Okay. So as I said, I wanted to talk about this. This I want, didn't want to get completely out of control earlier. Whenever I said that you can play this game on autopilot, it's going to mm-hmm. be that way. Much like Dominion. You get into playing that and you know, okay, I got to play this. 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 You play this enough, it's going to get to the point where it's just like an exercise. But that's going to be after you get really, really good at this, you're getting super high scores. So it's one where you kind of make it a not fun game anymore. Yeah, Did you just say that you made it a not fun game, Patrick? I, no, no, I no, didn't, no, no, no. I didn't do it for him. No, I, you as <laughs> in yourself. Yeah, um, yeah. You're saying that it can be maybe solvable or, or you can get to a point where yes, yes. being able to evaluate the tiles is. Yes, yes. You're going to get to that you. point if you play it too much. Okay. But this is one of those ones where, once again, going back to Origins, played Res Arcana there, played this there. That was a good time over at the Hampton, sitting up there. You didn't have to think that hard about it because you wanted to be there to BS with the other people, have some drinks, and you just happen to have a game there to be played with it. I think this is one that doesn't grab the center stage spotlight of the game night, but it's one that creates that social atmosphere for everyone to have a good time. I think that was brutal. If I... (laughs) was the designer of this game, my heart would have just shattered. Wow, that was harsh, I thought. Well, I, and it wasn't meant to come out of a harsh point of view. It was meant Scott's to the be... guy that he stabs you with a smile. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. It was meant to be the whole idea that this is one of those games you want to bring out with good friends and play with them because you're going to have a good time playing it, plus have a good time talking with your friends. So it completes that whole idea of a social interaction that i really like that i really appreciate so it's all coming from a good space yeah i I think so we've talked about ticket to ride a few times in this episode and i rank it in that realm of replayability because a game of ticket to ride is exactly the same every time you play Mm -hmm. the variability is what cards do you draw and right. I think this in now this has more replayability than that, I think, because you have the drafting and you're actually mm-hmm. trying to outthink each other and you know you have your strategy, what strategy you're following, how do you do your spores? And so there are decisions to where you can really set yourself up for glorious plays down the road. But it's not a very complex game. And a game that's not complex in the way that we like to use replayability means it's going to have a lower replayability. This is one, though, that I personally will buy an expansion the second they announce it, Mm -hmm. because I I think there's so much space for adding little bits of complexity to add to that replayability to make each successive play feel different. Because right now, as you said, you're either just kind of playing, doing the game while you're talking and having drinks, or you're going to do a deep dive and be like, I must break you, you know, Mm -hmm. and you're going to go hard. Well. I think a lot of that comes down to this being a tactical game as opposed to a strategic game. You're not going to be able to sit down and say, I'm playing the spore strategy. I mean, you can try, but a lot of it's going to depend on what tiles you get. And whenever right. you whenever you have to play in, in the moment that you know you have to play tactically, you have to you have to be able to pivot. You know what I mean? You don't know where the game's going to take you. And because because of that, it ends up being somewhat linear in that, okay, what path is the game putting me on? 
how do I optimize the path that I'm on? As opposed to, oh man, this game, it's making us do something totally different. Not really. You're still always going to have 12 turns. You're going to have four quarters. You're going to be activating the, these three rows, then uh, these three columns, then those three rows, then these three columns, then those three rows. None of that's going to change. It's just the means by which you set up the rows and columns, whether or not you're going for spores, whether or not you have tiles that say score a point for every feather or every hoof. You know, that's the thing that shapes shapes how you're playing. And I, I kind of agree with what you're saying. Well, that doesn't necessarily mean it's super replayable or super variable. It just it's always the same game each time you play with some little different seasonings here and there. All right. So our next bit is the downsides. This one is always that tough one because you don't want to say anything bad about a game. Well, because like, you've already said something bad. Oh, about it. Already shut slaughtered up, it. <laughs> well, in that case here, Will, I will give you the first shot at the downsides. I'm going to go with stuff that I've already alluded to. One is so beige. Like, it's more brown than me. My last name is Brown, people, but I'm very white. Um, It's so beige. It's not exciting to look at. How beige is it? So beige. (laughs) So there's that. And there's not a lot of... There's only a few mechanics going on. You are drafting and you are building that tableau. And it's a very light tableau build. So it doesn't have that level of complexity and replayability that a lot of times we like. But I mean, that just means it's a light game. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I don't know that's necessarily a downside. I say this all the time in my reviews. I don't know that's a downside necessarily, but it's just you've learned it, you've played it, and you play once and you know the game. Like, and now it's about right. mastering what's there. Mm-hmm. Patrick? All right, downsides for Raha. Uh, well, we said it already. The theme doesn't exactly shine. It's a, it's a very abstract. Oh, I'm game, sorry. I forgot so- in the name. The name. Oh, my God. Oh. Well, yeah, that, then that's a huge that downside. That's the biggest downside ever. <laughs> Rauha? Rauha? It's Rauha, uh, like an inner peace. It's a real word? I actually looked it up, Will. Rauha, it's a noun. It means peace, harmony, calm, a state of tranquility. Uh, this is right off of Google. <laughs> Quiet and harmony, uh, free of oppression uh, or unpleasant thoughts and emotions. So think serenity and peace. That's that's Rauha. Wow, I guess I guess I'm the asshole because I thought it was a made up word and a made up thing, and now I feel bad I've been making fun of it. It is still um, a very unique word. The word origin, please. Uh, it's Finnish, like as in Finland. Can you repeat the the word, please? Rauha. Can you use it in a sentence, please? Okay, so being easy to learn and play this game that that's an upside for sure, but it does come with a downside, and it you know it's a simple game. It's forgiving, not simple as in like. Oh, it's just easy to play like his beer and pretzels. No, there, there's some there's some calculating going on, right? There's some math going on, but simple as in and forgiving as in you can place a tile over an already placed tile. Like you have some freedom here and feels like it lacks an oomph that we look for in our games, or at least I do. That big stand-up moment or that stroke of brilliance where it all came together. I think it's a game that for me, I'm gonna end up playing it a handful of times to be like, oh, it never had that like that big exciting moment uh, that that I look for in a game, and that that to me was the the big downside with Raha. Well, my downside is I have to agree with Will a little bit in that the presentation of the game. Whenever you see a game being played, you walk past it and you want to be drawn in, like, "Ooh, what's that?" This one, it's just one of those ones you walk past, and you're like, "Oh, okay," and you keep on walking past. It doesn't really grab you. 
it's not saying it's a bad game or anything like that at all. It's just one of those things, the production of it could have injected a little more color possibly to make it stand out a little bit more on the table for people to really get drawn into it. Sure. And really get that eye appeal. Like whenever you walk past like, Ooh, this game, I talked to some of the people I worked with at game toppers. I brought up, Oh, did you try out Rauha yet? Uh, Stop lying. Uh, you you did not say, did you try out Rauha? You were like, did you try Rauha? I, I said Rauha. I don't know how to say it, but it's a good game. And they went out and bought it right away. Okay, so final bit here. Was it fun and who's it for? So let's turn it around. Patrick, you go first. Okay, I thought this one was okay. I thought it was a good game. It's one that I'll play when folks offer. I don't think that it's ever one that I'm going to request. I can't shake that fact to me that there's not anything that's particularly exciting in the game. And you can't really do much for the sake of, like like I said, forming a strategy because oftentimes you're just picking the best tile in the moment and you don't have a whole lot of control over that. Uh, Either the pick is obvious and good or you're discarding it for a spore or a crystal and continuing with whatever you were trying to do anyway. Sometimes you get divine entities right away because the tiles just worked out. Other times you can't seem to get those tiles and you're just stuck. Uh, I enjoyed playing it, but honestly, if I never played it again, I don't think I would feel like I'm missing out. Who's it for? Well, it is easy to learn and mechanically it is interesting. So I'm thinking more casual groups uh, like those friends at work that come over once a month to hang out. I think it's a good game to transition from simple stuff to hobby gaming for that matter. If you have kids that love games, I think this will blow their mind. They'll feel like they're playing something super beefy without it being too much for them to handle. Uh, Without a doubt, it's got an audience. And uh, you know, if you like what we've said about it, it might just be for you. For me, eh, I thought it was ultimately kind of forgettable you know who the game's for me me <laughs> i really like this game so I'm, patrick is calling you forgettable no well, i called the game forgettable i'm very beige and it, it, look i've listened to the episodes that you guys do you ain't forgetting me it ain't <laughs> happening um for better or for worse you know you're not forgetting this th- this natural disaster you will not forget adventures will be out of our contract with will by uh the end of season three so just stick with us <laughs> season 300 um <laughs> this is a game that i put this in the same echelon as i put furnace and nadavalier it's a game that i can teach anybody to play that game quickly and it's fun It's just a fun little quick game, and I treasure games like that that I can take with people that maybe game a little bit. Mm -hmm. Maybe they play Parks, and this that's not me slagging off Parks. Parks is a great game, but it's exceedingly simple, and it's got a little more meat. It has some strategy, and you have to make choices, and you make choices, and you can ruin yourself if you really make bad choices, and so it has real important decisions. It's not like one of those point salad games. And that's like these of either where you just do some crap and you're going to score 150 points and yay, you know, you can really do poorly. And so it has that tension to it, but it is a very light game. Like I told you, I taught Don and we played in 35 minutes, just like furnace, just like Nadavalier. I would be happy to take those three games. And if you guys are coming over for a night, we'd have some drinks. We'd play Nadavalier, furnace and and have a great time and feel good about ourselves go buy the game i think this is a fun game this 
it hits those notes that I want in a game. I want to have it something easy, something that you don't have to constantly go. Can I see the rule book again for this? Can I, can I check that out? It's one that you get under your belt, you learn it, and then you're free to go out and explore that sandbox. You have a good time with it. It's not going to be one that's going to take the fun out of a game night where you are all just really strategizing over it. It's, one that's going to complement the people that you have at the party and everything that you're going to be playing this or your game night or whatever you want to call it. So I definitely think this is a fun game. I really enjoyed it. This is for, Will, you said it great that you could teach this game in five minutes and then just give that little like, oh, yeah, yeah, you want to do this here. You want to do this here. The little explanation as you go along there. So something very, very simple. But still to someone who's not really into board games, they are learning a whole new game. And it's, I got to draft. I got to put these, I have to make decisions as to like, do I want crystals or do I want spores? You've got a lot of, not a lot of decisions, but you have a larger set of decisions more than Ticket to Ride or something like that that adds into it that makes it a nice experience for someone to play. So this is a great early onset kind of game there for people to learn this. It, it makes um, me think of, you know, like if you had know someone who loves Sushi Go, right? That drafting is like, okay, uh, yeah, well, that, yeah. well, let's step to this because now you have basic drafting, but a little more decision because it's the you're only dealing with two people and you're adding in basic tableau building, but it's very defined tableau building because you know it's going to fire off the row or the column so you're not dealing with everything so it's like a one step it's literally one step up from the sushi goes from those from the ticket to ride from the parks it's the one step up because now you're doing two mechanics very cleanly but basically yeah so i i think this is one that is very approachable for new players to get in and play it it's like oh wait i'm playing a hobby game now It's for just about anybody, really, unless someone is dead set on playing really heavy eight-hour war games. Or I see what you did there. Well, I wasn't trying to to hit on that. I wasn't. (laughs) I mean, it's basically so. Every what you're hearing here is is basically a faster, better Twilight Imperium. Is what is what what Scott is saying. If you are interested in just a fun little game to play that takes just a, a little bit of, of brain work, this one hits hits all the buttons of what you want it to be. Oh, there you have it. That's Brouhaha from Gerg. <laughs> oh, yes, I did. Yes, we did have a Brouhaha here. That is Rauha from Gerg Games. All right, King, we're going to do our look back. We got two because we didn't do a look back last week. We're going to talk Veiled Fate and The Hunger. I put in the notes. I'm going to play the music twice. I'm not. We're just going to wrap them together. I'll go first. You go second. Veiled Fate. This one I sold. I liked it. I didn't love it. I thought it was cool. I sold it to someone who's still in the group, so there's a chance that I'll be able to play it some more, but I haven't played it since the review. I think I would recommend it to folks if you're interested in a deduction game, a non-social deduction style game where you got to figure out what their motives are based on their card play and adjust accordingly. I didn't like that. Even if I knew what people were doing, I didn't feel like I had a whole lot of control anyway. And for that reason, it 
it's kind of one of those eh, don't need it in the collection kind of games. What's your thought on Veiled Fate? Veiled Fate, I had a good time playing it, and I I agree. I think you hit something on the head here with it's a great deduction game, but it's kind of like hidden in a different type of game. So it's not just coming right out and being a deduction game of who killed this person, who did this. You have to watch things a little bit closer there with the card play, like you said. So it's a fun game that leads into a deduction game. I haven't played it since then. I don't know if I really want to go out and play it again. I had Mm -hmm. a good time when it was, but it just didn't really grab me, unfortunately. Fair enough. Excellent. I have not not played this game. I do have this game because it was accidentally sent to me. The publisher is sending me Mythic Mischief and they messed up at the warehouse and they sent the wrong. But I will say it is Beatrice, the board game dogs game of the year last year. It won the contest. It won the tournament, (laughs) upset all the games. She loves this game and the blueberries. It got her. The blueberry looks more appealing when it sits in front of the veiled fate box. It does. Next up, we have The Hunger. This is one that our thoughts on it initially were, wow, this is an awful lot like Clank. Why don't you take the floor for The Hunger? Okay, The Hunger. Yes, the extremely obnoxious shiny board. That was the big <laughs> thing that I remember about it. The artwork for it, I, I loved the artwork. The artwork was great. It looked really fantastic whenever it was on the board there. We, we played it a couple times here. I have not played it since then, but... I think my biggest problem with it is that it felt like it ended too quickly. Now, I know All they right. have expansion. I don't know if that addresses it or in any way, shape, or form, but it's one that if someone did bring it up, I would definitely jump in to play that game again. I, I had a good time playing it. I would definitely recommend uh, The Hunger to, to give it a try if you haven't. So I have played The Hunger a handful of times since we reviewed, including with the expansion. Uh, I got to play that one with Jimmy, and it introduces werewolves. It gives you some reason to not just wait for cards to hit the end of that that shifting mm-hmm. market, which was one of the differences between this and Clank. I, I like the market in Clank. I think I actually like it a little bit more in The Hunger. What I didn't like about the hunger was that as you worked your way out, it became very difficult. Like that that carrot at the end of the road, the rose yeah. that you could acquire, it wasn't enough points to make it worth the risk of going out there. Like you could hang out in the plains and because you're allowed to go backwards, you could just back and forth and back and forth. And I felt like I felt like maybe there was an optimal strategy that had nothing to do with getting the rose. I don't know that. I haven't played it enough. What got me was the three-card hand. Sometimes you just have a dud hand, and it's because it's just three cards. So there are times in this game where you sit there and wait for your turn, and you have nothing to do on your turn. And then you have to sit and wait, You know, discard your hand, maybe buy something, draw new cards, and you're back up and running next time. But that downtime is noticeable. I didn't dislike it, and I can recommend The Hunger. I'm always going to stack it up against Clank, though. And to me, Clank's the better game. So while I recommend it, I don't know that I'll ever play it again. Hmm. Okay. Okay. I hate vampires. Never played. <laughs> Shut up, Will. <laughs> I'm just keeping it real. Though I did just play Clank Legacy again the other day. We are we are now six of ten through. Oh, you loving it? Oh, it's 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 great. It's great. The stickers on the board. We're not doing the best at it. <laughs> like yeah, and uh, I think we missed something, and so we still have a sticker one place that we're pretty sure shouldn't be there anymore. But overall, we're having a good time. 
Excellent. Excellent. Uh, well, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. So our look back on The Hunger is, hey, Clank Legacy is really good. <laughs> <laughs> Brave adventurers, Mondo Games has joined our party. Get 10% off your purchase with Mondo Games using promo code LEVELUP, L-E-V-E-L-U-P. You can go straight to their website or just click the Mondo button on our homepage at levelupgamepodcast.com. Want to expand your options in Unmatched? Enjoy a solo game of A Gentle Rain. Or maybe you're getting fired up for The Thing, Infection at Outpost 31. Don't just score some loot, get 10% off with promo code Level up. All right, guys, we've been going long. Got a little bit more energy in you? It's late where we're at. Will, it's like dinner time there. Scott, you you holding up all right? I just oh, yeah. I, I want you guys to see this. And now I have my, my shades closed, but if you look closely, you'll see it's still light outside here. Oh, it's been <laughs> dark for a couple hours now. <laughs> guys, we're going to play a game that I have not named. I have no idea what uh, what to call this, but here's what I want to do. I have 15, not really questions, they're descriptions. You both have to be uh, on your toes for this. Now, adventurers, play along and see if you can get it before King Scott or the Hungry Gamer. I have 15 descriptions. For each one of these, I'm going to describe a game box, and I want you to tell me what game it is. First person to ding in. Gets to answer like like you're described like the art or the size of the box or something. Yeah, basically. Whew. Oh, I'm stressed out on this. Oh my gosh! All right, guys. Number one. This box is a nice sky blue on the top, green on the bottom, and it features several animals front and center. The most oh, prominent oh, being oh, 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 a big oh, oh, oh. old King Scott Arknopa. Point for the king. Keep track of your own points, guys, because I can't. Number two, we have a gigantic coffin box in all black. And the only I'll be amazed. Let's hear it. Kingdom Death Monster. How did you do that? The huge box in all black. There's got to be more than one. That's the only one that matters, baby. Well done, Brown. (laughs) Number three. The original version of this game had a blue box with a crowned character in a blue cloak looking generally displeased. It's kind of become the poster child for bland, grumpy box art. Will Uh, Brown. I'm going to go Kalis. It is Kalis. Oh, I love that game. I've never played it, but I know it's a grumpy ass game. (laughs) Number four. This black box has the game's title in white letters across the top. And it has images on it of a vampire, Frankenstein's monster, and a mummy. King Scott. Horrified. Horrified it is. We got a tie game at 2-2. Number five. This box with a yellow border and a yellow game title features a gentleman holding a gem in both hands and carefully inspecting it. (laughs) I love your enthusiasm. What you got, King? Splendor. It's a splendor. Wow. This is working. I was like, I don't know if they're going to get this. I don't know if I'm creating the visual (laughs) adventures. I hope you're beating the hell out of them. Number six, this small box features a burgundy reddish background with gold trim. A lady in a long blue dress dons the cover. Above her, the title of the game with what is meant to look. Uh, King? Love letter. Wow. Scott, you're like, you're a savant with this. This It's amazing. It's like Rain Man here. (laughs) 
Number seven, the cover of this box features a bearded pirate, complete with a tri-cornered hat, looking through a looking glass, spying a ship on the horizon. I saw Scott first. Merchants and Marauders. It is Merchants and Marauders. Gosh, I hate you so much for getting into that. (laughs) Number eight. This colorful box, primarily with blue and violet tones, has the title in black, and front and center, there's an umbrella-wielding panda bear. Yeah. Is it Takanoko? It is Takanoko. Number nine. This game, named after an English mathematician, is basically all brown except for a green apple. Ooh. Well, Newton. It's Newton. Oh, he's bringing it back. We're at five to four. Number I didn't know it was 10. a game, but I know the mathematician with the apple. <laughs> right. <laughs> Number 10, the first edition of this game is notorious for having the three most soulless faces on the cover staring right at you. King Scott. Great Western Trail. That's it. Great Western Trail. Scott knows about soulless faces. That I do. (laughs) Number 11, this game box features a green hilltop with a blue background. Standing on the hill is a yellow cube wearing green pants, complete with suspenders. And anytime I look at it, I just think of SpongeBob SquarePants. Huh? Will? Cubitos? Yes, it's Is it really? Yes, it is. Tell me that ain't SpongeBob on a box. I have no I have no idea what the game looks like. You know, I said I couldn't keep score, but it's six five. Yeah, I got it. I'm tracking it with my dice here. Oh, I love it. Number twelve. This box has a bunch of brown and orange on it with an image across the middle, also mostly orange, with two characters, one kneeling down to the soil, the other gazing off in the distance. There's some water in the background. King? Terraforming Mars. It is terraforming Mars. Dang it, I was going to say that way early, but then you lost me on the people. I didn't remember there's people on it. Guys, I got to tell you, I can't believe we haven't had any misses. Every single one. This is great. Number thirteen. Now, now you just damned us. Yeah. Okay. Now we now we're gonna get it. We're gonna get difficult. Actually, I think I made the last ones easier because I was like, I'm pretty sure, except for Takanoko, they might get uh, held up here. Number thirteen. This mostly blue box comes with the game title in cursive, donning a view of a boat on the top of a lake, mountains in the background surrounding it. But oh, oh, it appears. Oh, oh, oh. I didn't even get gods. The... How did you do that? Rain Man. <laughs> the rest of the clue was, but it appears that there's something in the water taking yep. interest in the boat. Something big, wow. but you already got it. So, what are we at? Is that uh, what is it? It's, uh, it's it's eight to five. It's over. Eight to five. Okay, yeah. so for for pride's sake, we want to finish yep. it out. Number fourteen, and you know what? An adventure might be beating you. So let let's keep it. I up. Number so. fourteen. This box cover has a man in a turban and a veiled lady wielding a dagger behind them camels, and a large palace that looks like it came right out of the movie Aladdin. Oh, it, oh. Uh, okay, I'm going to be wrong, but... Okay, what, do we, well, let's do this. If you're wrong, do you lose a point? No, no, no. Okay, okay. Let's hear it, Scott. Jaipur? It's not Jaipur. Is it Istanbul? Okay. It is not Istanbul. Constantinople? No, I said uh, it's not Istanbul. So, so, so something trading in the Mediterranean? <laughs> It's five tribes. Uh, uh, 
The last one, number 15. This box has a curled up cat taking a nap on a quilt. Ooh, oh. I saw brown. It's Calico. It's Calico. <laughs> Guys, well done. I'm amazed. We, it, all except for five tribes, which is honestly, that, that was, I guess, the most difficult. So a glorious two-point victory for the Lord High Chief Dung Collector. Woohoo! <laughs> He's king. King. He remains king. Well, he did with that win. He is king. I will have to, I will call you king for the rest of the episode with that victory. Oh, thanks for playing, guys. Let's let's wrap things up. Okay. Well, thanks for joining us. This has been a good time. Yeah, I always have a great time coming on. I don't know if Scott does. I can feel like the stress building when I come on. It's it's all relieved now that he beat you in our little game today. That's I. You know, I I won the last two challenges we did, and so this is. It's now serious. This is now for for reals. Oh, I have to come up with something good for the next time. I'm glad that worked out. As you know, Adventures, we like to conclude our episodes with how we leveled up since we last spoke. Well, give us a good level up. What what you got going on? Give us an achievement. So there's a game on GameFound for another two days as we're recording this called Coloma New Prospects. And this is a game that when it came out, I really liked it. And I didn't like the solo mode. So I made up my own and my made up my own solo mode was picked up by the publisher and is in the new game official, not name on the box. I ain't that cool, but name in the rule book, official design. And they even paid me something for it. Woohoo! Yeah. I feel like I have reached the peak of nerddom. Well done. And uh, if everyone check it out, Coloma, new prospects, late pledge. It's great. I love it. King. As I stated, I was uh, in South Dakota. Uh, uh, (laughs) He he doubled the population of the state by being there. (laughs) Okay. Side note. We went to wall, South Dakota. And it's called wall. Like, oh, yes, yes, yes. They have the wall drugstore there. It's well known. They have over 3,000 billboards all over the state. I feel like you there's go there. jokes going on here. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I was thinking it was very Shakespearean is, of them. But, you it's know. very, very interesting. The population is like 247 people. Oh, wow. But they employ probably 500 people at wall drugstore. Why? So, How? Go figure. Because it's that big of a thing. Go Google. Use the Google. Anyway. As I was out there, I wasn't sure if I was going to really enjoy this. I was going out spending eight days, nine days in an RV with my in-laws and nature. So I'm like, oh, dear God. I but, wish everyone could see the disdain on his face when he said nature. Like most people were like, wow, crammed into an RV with my, my wife and my in-laws. That sounds really crampy. He's like, nature. <laughs> but... <laughs> I, hey, I'm more of a city person. I'm more of a people person. So I would have gone nuts if I didn't run into some of those. But I will have to say some of the things that we saw there were absolutely breathtaking. Saw Mount Rushmore, saw the uh, Crazy Horse Memorial, went to uh, Devil's Tower. I mean, I I should be like, I, I had to have swallowed at least 17 flies because my mouth was just gaping open that entire time walking around devil's tower (laughs) um it was absolutely beautiful what we saw out there and it it really does take your breath away 
I think that my whole level up was going out doing this and realizing that, yes, I had a very, very good time and it was so totally worth what probably will be once in a lifetime trip for me. Really? That's my level up. Well, I should have gone first because mine's really stupid. Uh, I went to the gaming meetup for Nikki's meetup yesterday, and Josh, Explorer Josh, has been talking about Alice is Missing, the uh, the silent RPG. Uh, I I haven't cracked it open yet. I don't know anything about it aside from what he's told us. I want to play it, though, and I went to Barnes & Noble because I've seen it there before, and they didn't have it. But at the meetup, Nikki had her giveaway table and everybody that shows up gets gets a ticket for the raffle. And I was like, hey, you should rig this raffle so that I win that. She she did not, of course, but she calls out a name. Someone goes up, takes a game. There's like eight games. And next name, someone takes it. Oh, man, I'm not going to get it. And then someone goes up the fourth or fifth person. Alice is missing. It's still there. They pick up the box. It's like, oh, man. Well, you know what? I probably wasn't going to get called anyway. They passed on it. And the next name was me. And I got Alice missing. <laughs> That's my level up. I, I've like never won anything. So that 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 mean, this means something to me. Well, good. We're very proud of you. you. I'm happy for you. Yeah. I hope you like the game. Yeah, because that because that would be the real kick in the teeth, right? Like, you're still <laughs> excited. It's you're like, awful. <laughs> <laughs> Alice could stay missing for all I care. <laughs> Thank God, Alice is missing. Jesus, I wish I was missing. <laughs> well, well, thanks again for joining us. You are most welcome. Always glad, glad to be here, and it's always a great time. I mean, I appreciate you guys staying up real late to do this. Got a plug for us. So uh, as always, everybody, just check out Hungry Gamer on YouTube. It's the goofy looking white dude biting a box. You'll know it's me. So check it out. Come like, subscribe, all those things. And check out Coloma New Prospects. It should be in late pledge or late pledge soon enough after you can listen to this episode. Like I said, I made the solo mode because I loved the game and then happened to be one of the lucky few that it got picked up and became real. That's how good of a Euro game I think this is. My turn to plug adventures. If you have not yet, our most popular episode ever was episode 100. Thank you from Scott and I both for uh, for downloading, for sharing it with friends. And if you're new to Level Up, thanks for joining. If you haven't heard that episode yet, get on back there. We list our top 10 games of all time. Next time, Scott, I'm gonna I'm just gonna plant this seed right now. I think next episode review games can be Thunder Road. You ready? Oh, let's do it. Oh, okay, I just a- played that game for the first time at RageCon. <laughs> <laughs> it was a lot of fun. Give us the last word. Another day, another bender. No retreat, no surrender. Thank you, adventurers, for joining us for this episode of the Level Up Board Game Podcast. We encourage all adventurers to check out our website at levelupgamepodcast.com. That's where you can submit your thoughts and audio to be used in a future episode. Please consider rating us on iTunes, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Instagram, and join the Board Game Geek Guild, Guild 3722. Music for the podcast provided by Adam Haynes and the Heatley Brothers. And remember, whether in hobby or in life, always do what you can to level up.